Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Intersections Matches Talk Radio, a monthly holistic lifestyle show focused on the continual evolution into the best versions of our authentic selves. We and our guests discuss relationships and health and wellness, each of which contributes to meaningful and fulfilling lives. This is Jess Bina, your host. I'm the founder of Intersections Match, the only national matchmaking and dating coaching company focused on South Asian singles in the country. I'm very excited to welcome Dr. Amir Levine, a psychiatrist and neuroscientist, to our show today. Welcome, Amir. Hi, it's great to be here. Pleasure to have you. As a professional dating coach and matchmaker to successful men and women, I'm fascinated by insights supporting people's efforts to evolve into the best versions of their authentic selves. And I've enjoyed reading your book entitled Attached, uh, The New Science of Adult Attachment and How It Can Help You Find and Keep Love. And would love to explore some of the insights shared by you. So, Mir, what led you to write this book initially? So, actually, I'm so glad that we're talking about this, especially from a dating perspective. I think this is probably the main reason that led me to write this book. It's because... Uh, when I came across this whole information, I didn't even know, you know, in whole my my whole training as a as a psychiatrist and then a child psychiatrist, I've never really heard about adult attachment um, science, and I actually didn't know that there actually is a science that's been studied for like two decades now that really looks at how we behave in romantic situations in romantic relationships that really gives a lot of answers to all of these dilemmas that we face, especially both in relationships, but also more so even when we're dating. Is this the right person? Is this not the right person for me? How do I know? How can I tell if the person that I'm going out with um, is someone that, can, that I'm going to have a good relationship with? And it turns out that there's a science behind it and that you can actually tell from pretty early on, even from the very first few dates, if this is going to work out for you or not. Well, you know, and that's I find that fascinating. Your book discusses three main styles in which uh, people perceive and respond to intimacy in romantic relationships. And in your book, it's termed um, attachment styles. And it's a starting point where you share a brief description of each of the three different attachment styles uh, for our listeners. Okay, so let me just tell you that attachment styles are, this is not just my book, this is just like the product of research that's been going on. This is like really hardcore science, basically. 
So these attachment styles also occur. They were first described by a woman, a very famous researcher named Mary Ainsworth in children. But then the way that children uh, like interact with their parents, actually. But then um, in about 1987, like two researchers thought, well, maybe also we have like the same kind of attachment to our significant others. We sort of bond, form the same bond, the same system that's in our brain that's re that's related to how we attach to our parents. Also, is related to how we attach to our partners. So they wanted to see those three styles that actually exist in children also exist in adults. And these three styles are the anxious attachment style, the avoidant attachment style, and the secure attachment style. And what they saw is that, indeed, we do behave in accordance to those styles also in adulthood. And I'm going to actually – so maybe I should tell you about these styles a little bit, right? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, because that's really crucial. If you really want to understand, you know, really understanding attachment styles and understanding attachment, it's almost like learning a new language. So I really want to invite the listeners to listen carefully to these definitions, and you'll see it's almost irresistible. You'll start to really think about what attachment style you are, what attachment styles other people in your life are, and it's tremendously helpful. So let's start with the um, – with the anxious attachment style. And the attachment styles, it all has to do with how comfortable we feel with intimacy and closeness, but yet also at the same time, how preoccupied we become with the relationship. So someone who is anxious has an anxious attachment style. They love to be intimate and close. They just love it. But they also are very sensitive to small things, threats that happen in the relationship. So they tend to worry a lot about not being loved back and about the the, um, the reliability of the relationship. So that's the anxious attachment style. And you have a, if you have a secure attachment style, you also you love to be close and intimate. You, you just uh, you can't get enough. You're very, but you also you don't tend to be too sensitive. So you don't worry too much about the relationship and about not being loved back. You're just very easygoing and easy to get along with. So that's the secure attachment style. It's a very important style. And the last style is the um, the, the avoidant attachment style. And really, like, if we really look at into the science, we understand that we're actually all programmed to choose someone out from the crowd and make them special and unique to us and get attached to someone. But if you have an avoidant attachment style, what happens is that you choose someone out from the crowd, you get closer to them, but then you start feeling not too comfortable with too much closeness, and you learn and you have different ways in which you put your partners at arm's length. You keep your distance from them. I can give you an example. So these are the three attachment styles. If you understand what attachment style you are and what attachment styles other people are, you really solve the mystery of how to pick the right partner for you. That's really, really crucial. And this is, again, it's not just our idea. This has been backed by decades of research. Wonderful. Okay, so we have the anxious, the secure, and the avoidant. Now, your book discusses what you term, quote, um, and again, um, the dependency paradox. And please tell us about uh, the dependency paradox. Okay, and how that's that very important. I'm glad you're asking me about that. So first of all, in order to first understand really what the attachment style you are and others, we actually have quizzes. Like we teach people how to. It's like you, we learn. We teach people how to again, like learning this new language. What does it mean? How to be able to tell what attachment style you are and what other people are? And actually, we have a quiz online also on our book's website that you can take and that will help you sort of determine what attachment style you are. And in the book we have about how to be able to tell what attachment styles other people are. So once you – the way that I described it to you, you can sort of see where a lot of the relationship drama lies. And a lot of the relationship – People like people actually that don't get along, that actually have a lot of fights and, and really are, are actually less happy in relationships is really in that particular um, combination of the anxious and the avoidant. 
That is a very, very difficult combination because, as I told you, one loves a lot of intimacy and closeness, craves to be close, craves to be intimate, but also worries a lot about not being loved back and very sensitive to small cues that sort of might suggest that the other person doesn't love them as much as they love them. So that's the anxious. But if they avoid it, it's actually the opposite. They see it's too much. They don't like too much closeness. They see it as an infringement on their, on their independence uh, and self-reliance. And they think you should take care of yourself. And they actually do all the time sort of keep their distance. And so they put a lot of, like, question marks and threats into their relationship. That's exactly what the anxious is, is really sensitive for. So there's a lot of fights between them, and they just don't get along very well. Um, however, uh, what happens is that they get attracted to one another uh, in some strange reason, for some reason. And a lot of the time, people who are anxious find themselves getting attracted to someone who's avoidant. And we tell yeah. people... When you go out on a date, you really have to figure out what attachment style you are. And the main thing is to really, if you're secure, you can probably manage both of them. But if you're anxious and avoidant, you want to stay away from that opposite of uh, the opposite of what you are, because that is not really a recipe for unhappiness in relationships. Um, so that's one thing, and that can lead us okay. to yeah to the dependency paradox that you asked me about. Um, so the dependency paradox, the idea is people have this mistaken idea that when you come into a relationship, you um, have to maintain your independence, and that dependency is a bad thing. But if you really understand attachment, you can understand that dependency, you know something, it's our biology. We don't have a choice. Once we choose someone out and, become de- and, and make them special and unique for us, we become thoroughly dependent on them. That's just our biology. There was a huge advantage to to actually pairing up in such a way in evolution. Those who, because if you're like so together and so dependent on one another, you become almost like one physiological unit. And so we are the descendants of those who paired up in that that way. There's a huge survival advantage. I guess back in the time it was dangerous, you know, and then so it was good to have someone next to you telling you, oh, tiger on the right, something on the left, really sort of working together to survive. So that was, it was a huge advantage. We are the descendants of those who actually paired up like that. So the advantage wasn't so much only to, oh, uh, it's nice if you're next to me. I can take it or leave it. If you're not here, I'm okay. No, it's really like I really need to, I need you by my side. That was the advantage. I need to know where you are. And if I don't know where you are, I'm going to feel very uncomfortable until I reestablish contact with you. And we all have this system in our brain. And I can tell you, for example, if I were to tell you now that there's, God forbid, a terrible natural disaster where your loved ones are, it will be very hard for you to continue my, this, this um, interview with me. You'll probably have to sort of run out and make a phone call to make sure that they're okay. So that's right. like an example of our attachment system in the brain. It's almost like a surveillance sort of system that makes sure that we kind of like know where our loved ones are and that they're okay. Okay, um, interesting. Now, you would mention in terms of, you know, it, it, when you're out there dating, it's, it's very, very helpful to know your own attachment style, to, to be able to self-identify with one of them and find where you are. And similarly, it, you know, the ability to decipher the attachment style of your partner, a prospective partner, would be important. So you're just, your book discusses what you term five golden rules for deciphering the attachment cells of your partner. And um, I'm hoping you would share with our listeners, you know, one, two, or five, any number of them you, uh, you right. wish. And then, what? Yeah. Right. So why is this book, why, you know, basically when I saw this, like I said, when I, I sort of, I saw all these data, and actually 
it was all sort of scientific in scientific articles. All these very, very useful information for people in their everyday lives was really buried in like all of the statistics and science, sort of science lingo. And but I thought, oh my God, if only I'd had this when I started dating, <laughs> and I want to date myself. But and then I like I have to write this book because it primarily it's so helpful for people who are dating because it can really tell you. It really changes the game in how. Like when usually a lot of people when they go out on a date, he's like, oh, does this person like me? I want him to like me. Like what's going to happen? They don't really think, oh, is this person is good, the right person for me? Is this going to be like, – because they don't think like years down the road. They think about, oh, are they going to like me? But really what we invite people is to like, no, this is like really important because if I, as I described to you, you become so dependent on your significant other – and I didn't tell you, but it's not just psychological dependence. There's some research that shows that it's also very much physiological dependence. Our partners start to control things we have no control over. They control our blood pressure, our heart rate. And if we're in a good relationship, even our physical health is better. Like if we get a cut, there's one paper, there's one research study that showed that if you get a cut and you're in a good relationship, it will heal faster than if you're in a bad relationship. So the dependency is wow. that. So, yeah, it's really crucial to choose right. Exactly. So you don't really – because it's going to make a huge, huge difference in your life. It's one of the best, the most important things is to choose right. So basically having said all that, when you're going on a date, we find that a lot of people, people will usually tell you from the very get-go what attachment style they are. And, and the only problem is that a lot of people don't listen. You listen to what you want to hear, but you yeah. actually ignore other signs, and that's a mistake because – when people tell you, oh, I don't feel too comfortable being too close, I need my distance, mm-hmm. people will tell you that. You should listen to them. And if you actually, what's very important for you is actually to be close and intimate, and and then you should really pay attention to the signs and the signals, not just the things they say, but also the things they don't say, not just the things they do, but also the things they don't do. Um, but I think a lot of people sort of miss that. The other thing that people do especially people who have an anxious attachment style, is that they feel that they need to play games in the beginning of a relationship, maybe to play hard to get and doing all these different things. And that's a very big mistake. And in the beginning beginning of the, our this conversation, you said about how do you sort of mentioned about being your authentic self. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that is like, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because that is so crucial to the process of dating and Basically, we find that's one of the major keys for successful dating is to be your authentic self. So, oh, right. And so if you, you know, whichever one of these styles you are, to understand, um, and again, your book lays out in great detail about these three attachment styles, to be able to self-identify with with one of them. Um, and then in terms of deciphering the attachment style of your partner, what's, so what if, if like you had mentioned, uh, people reveal themselves, you know, early on by what they say, what they don't say, what they do, what they don't do. What are some um, what are some typical uh, things to decipher someone who has a, um, let's say, an avoidance style? I know you have right. some great Right, um, exactly. So, yeah. so I think even – so, for example, someone who has an avoidant attachment style, oftentimes they, there are the people who sort of play games. You never know where you are with them. You go on one dine and things are very, very close, and all of a sudden they don't call you the next day or the few days after. Yeah. And we tend to sort of give, oh, well, you we have to give them time. But we find actually in the process of writing this book and interviewing a lot of people who are secure, 
People are okay. thinking you're usually a very easygoing, and you, you kind of like always know when, where you are with them. You know, at the, at the end of the date, usually, typically, they'll tell you, oh, I'd like to see you again. Let's see. Can we make plans? Or they'll call you right the next the next day. There's not a lot of the suspense and sort of not knowing where things are going. They're pretty open books. You know where things are. They can actually communicate how they feel very easily, and they're not afraid of being close. Um, so you can sort of really get from the very get-go. We all know these people. We've all went out with these people. These are just yeah. people who are, like, easy to get along with. Um, the problem is, I think, that especially women have learned to equate. Um, let me also tell you that the majority – I forgot to tell you the statistics, which is very important. Um, the majority of the population are actually have a secure attachment style. When they did, about 54% of the people are secure. Um, and about 25% are uh, avoidant, and the rest, about 20% are anxious. So the good news is that most men and women are secure. So that's fantastic, because we, in the process of writing this book, we learn to really fall in love with the secures in this world. We like to call them the supermates of evolution. They're just really, really good in relationships. They have like this sixth like, sense, like a gift, to be really good in relationships. And the, the wonderful thing about being with someone secure, you know, like actually we can change our attachment styles. And the easiest way to, ta- to change our attachment style is that if we're with someone who is secure. Because uh, they will teach us how to become more secure. And in some of the talks that we give, we always like to give, a, I, I always give an example from uh, two little video snippets from Sex and the City, where you can actually see, I don't know if you remember those two, the character, Carrie and Mr. Big, who are like a very anxious, avoidant character. And there's another character there, um, Steve, like he always like talks to, like he's very, very secure. And you can see the, like how he actually communicates himself. It's such a good example. It's like they're very, very good communicators. So basically, the idea is to learn to recognize someone who's secure and to learn to appreciate people who are secure. Because oftentimes we tend to, especially if you're anxious, you tend to get attracted to um, the insecurity and not knowing. You think that, oh, these butterflies that you have in your stomach when you're waiting for someone to call, you think that's a a sign for passion and interest. But really all it is, it's just, and it's, it's, like, it's just really a sign of anxiety. And people learn to people actually equate anxiety with love and interest and passion, but it's not true. Anxiety is just anxiety. Well, that is so interesting. Did you say in your book you talk about um, you know for those single um, readers and for us for those single listeners who believe they have the anxious attachment style? So they're reading your book and they're thinking, oh, yeah, I'm probably I think I fall in this category at, the, at this time. So what is your secret to finding a good relationship when you know that you have the anxious tendencies? Right. Um, so right, exactly. The other thing that I, for, I forgot to tell you is that what happened oftentimes, also especially with with women, is that in, in, you know in our, in our there's a lot of literature that actually mistakenly tends to equate uh, masculinity with avoidance. So people think that all men are like sort of closed up, they're not very emotional, they, they have a hard time talking about their feelings, they need to go into their men caves, all these different stuff. But the truth is, this is really a description of someone who's avoidant. Many, many men, the majority of men are secure. They're very comfortable talking about their feelings. They're very good in talking about emotions and, and actually communicating their needs and their feelings. And But I think a lot of people, because, because it's just misconception in our society, people and women equate that, oh, they're not maybe masculine enough, like real masculine men don't talk about their feelings. But this is not true. So I think one of the things that we like to tell women is like, you know, you've actually, you've been giving like the wrong advice and wrong information. Um, And don't really, don't, people get attracted to that because they think, oh, this is very masculine. But it's not, it's just avoidance. 
So once we actually, people understand what avoidant attachment style is all about, especially if you're, if you're anxious, it becomes less alluring and less, um, that you, it loses some of its mystique. It just becomes boring, actually. Because if you've been out with someone and you had a good time and all of a sudden they don't call you for two weeks, you're just like, okay, this is not good for me. That's not what I need. I need someone to, I need someone that I know feels comfortable with intimacy, feels comfortable with closeness, that actually really cares about how I feel. Because that what, what kind of a message does it send you when you go out with someone on an amazing date and then they don't call you for several days? The message that it really sends is that, you know, you have to take care of, uh, you have to take care of your own feelings. Whatever how yes. you feel, if you're, that's, that's not in my business. That's your business. On the other hand, someone who calls right the next day and tells you you had a good time, it's sort of, it, shows, it shows that they have an interest in how you feel in your emotional world, and they also have this knowledge that it's kind of like their responsibility. Um, well, what is so, it is so interesting you mentioned that in terms of the um, sort of the, the cultural expectations with respect to, uh, or, or maybe mis, you know. Um, oh, the misconception, kind of, yeah, completely. I mean, there are so many misimpressions of that. And what's interesting is, and you're looking, you know, you explain why when you're out, out and about, um, you're more likely to meet people like other singles with an avoidant attachment style um, when you're sort of out and about. Yes, why? Yes. Oh, yeah, that's so good. I always like to know. Let's go ahead and tell, you know, let our listeners know. Why, why is it that you're more likely I like, you're yes, single? Definitely. You see, thank you for reminding me about that because I actually love to give that as an example. Um, I'll give you two examples of, like, two patients that I had. One was uh, one had an anxious attachment style. It was a man, and he just broke up. He broke up with his girlfriend. Like, like she actually, they broke up maybe seven months before, and okay. and um, and he was like, I can't. Like he thinks that he's like, I can't stop thinking about her. He thinks about her maybe like every ten minutes throughout the day. And then mm-hmm. I had another patient who was in a, who had an avoidant attachment style, and he was like, he broke with his girlfriend broke up with his girlfriend maybe like two weeks prior to that and he was like no i don't really think about her so much anymore the last time i thought about her was last night when i went out on a date with someone else and i was like should i wear the shirt that she gave me as a present or shouldn't i wear the, the shirt that she mm-hmm. gave me as a present so that's kind of like shows you people who are anxious uh, people who have an, like who have an anxious attachment style people who are secures are keepers they tend to stay in relationships for a long long time People who have an anxious attachment style, it takes them a very long time to get over. Other people, it takes them it can take years and months and months and months. So they tend to sort of stay home and lick their wounds, you know? Yeah. The people who actually are recircled very quickly into the um, into the dating pool are avoidance because they're just like, okay, I'm moving on <laughs> to the next person. Um, so that's one of the reasons that it's actually they're overrepresented in the uh, – and also it takes them a lot longer. Once they get close to someone, they feel – um, they start to feel uncomfortable, and so they have this whole notion of the one. I just haven't made the right one yet. And they have this idea that if they fall in love fast enough, hard enough, then it will be the one. But it doesn't happen. What were you well, going to So that was actually so interesting you mentioned the one. So what? Um, oh, the one, yes. It's terrible. Yeah. Po- and you, you term it the power of the one. Yeah. So, um, and this is just one of, you know, one of a number of different ways that your book shares in which avoidance, uh, people who are avoidant tend to shortchange themselves in love. So t- tell us a little bit more about the power of the one. What, what, do, what does that mean? So they have a few things. They have, like, they have this one thing is like the one, and then we, something that's also we like to call the, um, um, the phantom X. 
These are two okay. things. These okay. are two things that uh, people who are avoidant use, and that's the one. Some of the things that we teach people to listen to and watch. Because sometimes, oftentimes, people who are avoidant, what happens eventually is that they, okay, they get very close to someone, but once they get too close, they start feeling uncomfortable with too much closeness and intimacy. And then they start to find fault in the other person, and then it's kind of like oftentimes either they stay in a relationship, but they keep their distance, or it falls apart and they leave. And so oftentimes in, in, in dating situations, what they tell themselves, they, so how would they explain the fact that they, they're lost interest in this person? Usually what they tell themselves is like, okay, I just like, because we all have this whole myth in our society that, love will conquer all, that eventually we can all fall in love and have amazing relationships, but we just have to fall in love hard enough. So they explain it to themselves, oh, it's not that they've actually became too close to someone. It's like, no, this person is not the right person, and he doesn't have this, 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 and that quality. And if only I found the right person, then I'd fall in love, and then our relationship will be perfect. But they don't understand that the very basic fact is that they have actually fallen in love. They got very close and very intimate, and that's the very thing that actually push that like actually makes them take their distance and all of a sudden lose its interest. So that's kind of like something that we teach people to listen to and watch out for. The other thing is what we like to call the phantom X, and usually, and that's what a lot of avoidance actually use. Uh, it's a strategy again to minimize intimacy within your existing relationship. So it's always someone, usually someone that actually they broke up with. That okay. is now put on a pedestal, and they see them as like the most uh, amazing, perfect person. Um, and you always compare it to this Phantom X that we call a Phantom X. It's always like someone within the midst, and that's a way to sort of keep your distance from someone because the someone that you're with is always compared to someone else who is better. Um, so that is so fascinating because for an avoidant, then the person they are with at any point in time. That the avoidant is going to see, you know, what their what their flaws are, what their weaknesses. That's where their focus is going to be as a means to push them away. And then that same person, after being broken up, with that same person who they dated when they have actually broken up, they then are on the pedestal. So then it's only seeing the positive, the flip of that. Only seeing the positive is a means to hold everybody else back, any other prospective new partner back. Yeah, and you know, you know, and it's not, it's, again, it's like, it's not, I'm not trying to accuse, you know, just like, it's like people who don't feel comfortable with too much closeness, it's very threatening to them. It's just like too much, it's too much. So they find ways of minimizing closeness. And the more they feel that the things are threatening to them, the more they'll sort of find different ways. All of a sudden, the way you eat becomes annoying. Um, They walk in front of you. So, like, because walking side by side is is a huge opportunity for, for, for closeness. So a lot of little things like that, they just don't feel comfortable with too much closeness. They see it as, like, they they, they feel that they're suffocating. Um, So for someone like that, it's actually good to be with someone secure because, again, the secures are so good that they know how to give them their distance. They don't take it personally. They say, okay, they need their distance. But when you're anxious and you're so sensitive, you're always afraid that you're not going to be loved back and you're so sensitive to every threat, it's hard for you to take that. You can't. Even if you'll try to sit down very quietly and sort of sit on the side and pretend not to care, you do care, and they know that you care. You know, it's like almost like... I don't know if it's such a good example, but like if you know, like it's let's say you have a like a dog that wants very much you to give him something to eat or like wants you to pet them. You know, even mm-hmm. they're, they're not there; they're sitting in the corner looking at you. You know that they want you to pet them. Um, so it's kind of like this is how what happens with the anxious and the avoidant. They, just like there's a mismatch in their needs, and they tend to exacerbate each other's sort of like bad tendencies. 
And the anxious avoidant trap that you mentioned in your book is exactly that, where they're right. both exacerbating. Um, and then it's almost as if the secure can buffer both of those tendencies. Oh, the secure, it's amazing. We can actually change, and you can become more secure if you're with someone secure. If you're avoidant, you'll become less avoidant. If you're anxious, you'll become less anxious. It's just like it's amazing how uh, how they because they will teach you. It's like having a a relationship coach built into the relationship, and that's why we tell both the anxious and the secure, uh, the avoidant, don't go with one another, just go secure. Also, it's interesting. You think avoidance are really would be good for one another. They both are independent. They're worth. They're worth they, they like to be left alone. They would be perfect to one another. They just sort of like have the perfect world if they're together. But it's interesting that that hardly ever happens. Avoidants hardly ever get together with another avoidant. It just never happens. It's just interesting. It's almost like there's no glue that keeps them together. They can live parallel lives probably, but there can't be true intimacy. If, yeah, but they don't even get together because it's like there's nothing that keeps them together. I think one more thing that I didn't get a chance to tell you is like especially in a dating situation sort of has to do with the authentic self. That's one of the things that we've learned for people who are avoidant. And especially I like to tell that to people who are anxious who feel that they need to play hard to get. A lot of people feel they need to play hard to get in the beginning. Um, and we like to tell this to people, even though people, like, people have a hard time with this notion. You, and so I'm going to tell it to you now. Basically, what we've seen with people who are, are secure is that in a dating situation, they're very straightforward. They don't play games. They say things as they are. Um, and I think it's very important to know that because let's say you're anxious and you want a lot of intimacy and closeness. But when you mm-hmm. first go out with someone, you play hard to get. You play that you don't care. They call you. They don't call you. You just kind of like – so. The funny thing is if you do that, who are you going to attract? Most of the time you're going to attract someone who's avoidant. Yeah. Because they yeah. feel more comfortable in those situations. And so and then a few weeks later you're like, Oh no, actually but it's very it is important to me that we'll be close. Well it is important to me that you call back. But if you're actually reminded by that several weeks or several months later, it's too late. You already are with someone who's incompatible. You didn't really actually authentically say what your needs are in a relationship. And we find that if people actually say that from very early on, you know, it doesn't have to be in a groveling, annoying way. It can come from a place of strength. Then um, usually what happens is that you are able to, it's almost like sort of like holding like, I don't know, like cross to a vampire or something. You're really able to hold away and keep away people who are not a good match for you. I can give you an example of that actually. Sure, go ahead. Let's do that. Okay, sure. so we know this is a woman. Actually, we mentioned her in the book. In our book, she was, like, reaching her 40s. She really wanted to get married. She wanted to get married and have kids. And she's okay. been dating and dating and dating. And um, initially, and then she's just like, okay, time is of the essence here. I don't have a lot of time, and I need to get married. And so she decided, you know, the hell with this. I'm going out, and I'm just being my authentic self. And she would go out on a date from the very first date. She was like, you know what, I'm really looking to get married and have kids. So, yeah, sure, he sent a few men running the other direction. But these are men who were not right for her anyway. She really needed – she had no time. But, you know, lo and behold, she met someone who wanted the same thing. He wanted to get married very quickly, and he, and he wanted to have kids. He was also tired of this whole dating sort of game. And so that's what they did. They got married and they had kids. And so the people, it sounds like, oh, like how can she say that right from the very get-go? Yeah, but if you say it from a place of strength, you, not apologetically, this is what I'm looking for, it's great actually. Well, and that's what you, you know, you, I know that your book devotes you know, a whole lengthy chapter to the topic of effective communication and being right. able to use effective communication to, you know, to ensure that your needs are met in a relationship. So I think... Um, to well, ensure that your needs are met, but also to be able to decipher whether the other person is able to meet your needs or not. 
because then there's, we give another example in the story of like this woman who went out with this guy and for like two or three weeks they were out together almost like every night there was no physical touch between them and she was trying to like okay what's going on why, why isn't there like not even a kiss yeah. and, uh, and he actually couldn't even answer her but he didn't go anywhere so after you know if she had played games if she tried to actually okay I'm not going to see him I'm going to still play hard to get I'm going to do this I'm going to do that then she would never have known the answer here she put it point blank I want to know what's going on he didn't answer her basically I mean so you don't even need an answer exactly once you actually effectively communicate what your needs are and you say it, you, you bring it out to the fore even then no answer is an answer basically I, I have no answer for you but it's not going to change and so they broke up later on she found out that he was gay actually so Okay. Okay. So he was wrestling with some. Okay. Yeah, you well, know. So she wasn't like she could have like been wasting her time waiting or trying to do this, trying to do that. But she just like she raised the the topic and basically there was no answer. And and so it kind of like it it when you're dating, I think a lot of people find they're wasting a lot of time with the wrong people. It's very yeah. time consuming. It can be very very frustrating. And um, when you actually come and you're being your authentic self, you save a lot of time for yourself. Yeah, I think a lot of people are afraid to ask questions they may may even have an inkling of and they don't want to know the answer to, or they don't want to change the outcome of what someone might say. But it actually doesn't do that. I mean, someone's oh, going to say your feel, they're going to say your feel, and you're not really going to change anything by bringing it up. And it's like you said, it could save a lot of time. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and you think about it. If you're going, it's also if you think about it. If you're going to be in a relationship, you would want to be able to communicate with the other person and be able to communicate effectively. So it's almost like a Lachman's test for what the relationship is going to be like. If you cannot, if you can't communicate with them effectively now and start to sort of bring about to the table what is bothering you, then what makes you think you'll be able to do it later on when you have to talk about the kids that you're going to raise, you have to talk about buying houses, doing all, like having a life together. So if you can't do it now, you sort of, you better brace yourself because then 50% of people end in divorce. I mean, think about it this way. Let's say you actually were interviewing something for a job. And they come in for the interview. You wouldn't ask them any questions about their skills. You wouldn't ask them. You wouldn't actually. They they will tell you that they're not able to do many of the things that they want you to do. But you wouldn't listen to what they're telling you, and you'll end up hiring them. How happy are you going to be with them? So think about this particular sort of job, quote unquote. It's really like the position, which is probably the most important position in your lifetime. You're going to have hopefully kids with this person, you're going to have a lifetime with this person. If you're not really trying to find out how well you're going to get along, is it such a surprise that so many people end up, you know, 50% end up in marriages, but we get so many emails from people who are actually very unhappy and they stay in relationships very unhappy for many, many years. It's very, very hard to leave once you get attached to someone. So if you get, if you might as well do it, you might as well do it well from the very get-go. Absolutely. Before making a commitment, before uh, you know, building a life together to really figure out whether there's compatibility there for exactly. um, for the long haul. I really appreciate your sharing your insights with us, Amir. They've been very interesting. Is there any last thought or take-home message you'd like to leave our listeners with beyond the great insights you've already shared? Yeah, we definitely want to tell people, take that attachment quiz. You can go to um, attachthebook.com, www.attachthebook.com, and you can take the quiz. So you sort of get a, a sense of what attachment style you are, and you'll start to learn about also how to tell what other people's attachment styles are. It's very, it's really, it's a, it's a game changer, I think. Wonderful. And again, so the book, the book website where you can take that quiz is attachthebook.com. Is that it? Yeah, that's it. Oh, wonderful. Okay. Um, well, thank you so much uh, for joining us today, Amir. It's been a pleasure. Oh, it's great, great talking to you. Thanks a lot. 
One fun. In case you joined us late, would like to share the show with people in your life. I'd like to remind you that today's show will be archived and available as a podcast on Intersections Match's website, which is www.intersectionsmatch.com. Appreciate your hanging out with us, and uh, do email me with topics you'd like to discuss in future shows. And make sure to join us for next month's show. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.